Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 118 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I'm going to be answering a listener question, so let me play the question and then we'll dive in. Hello, it's Tracy. Um, I'd like you to address the problem that I'm coming across where women who've been in abusive relationships only know how to relate in particular ways, especially if they were raised in abusive families. And so developing, figuring out healthy ways to relate, even to other women who've been in abusive relationships, is a huge challenge. So we're not to be independent and isolated like monks or hermits, but we're also not to be laying our burdens on other people. And it seems to be a particular, or this has a particular flavour with women who have been in abusive relationships. It's a problem that I am seeing and I'm trying to figure out for myself. Um. Like, do you chase people up when they haven't answered your call or is does that look like you're hounding them or if you make arrangements, are you trying to control their lives and how do they feel about it because they think you're trying to control their lives, all that kind of stuff. hope that's clear. I'm sure you've got something you can say about it. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, of course I've got something to say about it, right? All right. This is the catch-22 of abuse. It's damned if you do something and damned if you don't. In an abusive relationship, if you speak up, you get criticized and blamed. Let me give give you an example here. Your partner says he's going to be home at 5 o'clock, and instead he comes in at 9 o'clock. And you have the audacity to ask him where he was or why he was so late. And instead of a straightforward, normal answer, such as, I'm so sorry, I totally forgot I had a board meeting at church tonight. He says, what is your problem? Are you my mother now? You're always on me like a hawk, expecting me to be perfect. Well, I'll never be perfect enough for you. Quit trying to control me in my life. Back off. You're like a dripping faucet wife in the Bible. What is your problem? Now, I just want to add that a normal person might forget to tell his partner about a board meeting at church, but it would probably be a rare thing because normal people actually think about and consider their partners and how their actions have an effect on them. They actually love their partners and wouldn't want to harm them. So if they harmed their partner in this way, it would be more of a rare exception to the rule, okay? Let me give you another example. You want to go out with your friend for coffee on a Saturday morning. So you ask your husband if it would be okay and if he could keep an eye on the kids while you're gone. And he responds with, what are you asking me for? You'll just do what you want anyway. When do I ever get time away? Fine, of course I'll watch my own kids. Sheesh, treat me like I'm the babysitter. Go have your time away, whatever. All right, so those are a couple of examples of how you get damned if you speak up and But I'm, now I'm going to give you an example of how you get damned if you don't, okay? You know that if you speak up, you're going to get bomb blasted 90% of the time. So 
You eventually learn to stay quiet and you only rock the boat when absolutely necessary. So the next time that your husband is late, you don't say anything. But later that night, he whines, you didn't even ask me where I was today. It's like you don't even care about my life. You never ask me how I'm doing. You just ignore me and treat me like I'm your dog or something. Or the next time you want to go out with a friend, you simply say, I'm going to go out, see you in two hours, and you leave. And when you get back, you get this. Who do you think you are that you can just take off without asking? You're always just running off and doing whatever you want and leaving me with all the responsibility. If I just walked out, you'd be on my case for the next three years about it. You see, damned if you do, damned if you don't. All right, now imagine that this goes on for a year. And by the way, I'm just giving some really mild examples of how this plays out. I'm sure that you can all think of times when, you know, and it's much more dramatic and much more serious. But um, anyway, let's say that this goes on for two years and then 10 years. What about 30 years? I know women who've been married like that and doing this for over 30 years. Now imagine that your brain is now programmed to fear every single little move that you might make. You're afraid to say something. You're afraid not to say something. You're afraid to make a decision. You're afraid not to make a decision. Also imagine that you're not just getting this kind of treatment from your partner, but you're getting it from the environment that you and your husband are immersed in. You're getting it from your small group leaders at church, from your pastor, from your friends, from your family of origin, from your older kids as they grow up steeped in the same toxic way of interacting with other humans. Your life is like a minefield riddled with hidden minds as far as your eye can see. And your job is to figure out how to walk in that minefield and try your darndest not to step on a mine. Okay then you finally get out and you learn to recognize passive aggressive communication patterns. You discover boundaries for the first time. You see that your people pleasing tendencies are, have gotten (laughs) grown way out of proportion and you start making all these connections in your brain. Once you learn about emotional and spiritual abuse, you start to see it all over the place. And this can be kind of unsettling. There's a song by Sarah Bareilles, my favorite musical artist of all time, called Orpheus. And the song, here's some of the words. It says, I know you miss the world, the one you knew, the one where everything made sense because you didn't know the truth. That's how it works until the bottom drops out. So this is what happens to survivors. The world no longer makes sense in the same way that it did before. And It's natural to swing the pendulum in the opposite direction for a while as you discover that you are a human being who deserves just as much respect and honor and freedom and autonomy as every other human being does. And so you begin to take back what had been stolen from you. You take back your voice, your experiences as you experienced them, your brain space, your resources, your time, your treasured and safe relationships, your emotions, your thoughts, and your choices. And you begin to give away what you had taken on that didn't belong to you. You begin to give away your responsibility for your partner. You give that up. You give up your responsibility for the other adults in your life. 
for their emotions and their happiness and their behavior and their choices and their thoughts and their experiences. And all of this can get very messy. This is the process of getting out and figuring things out and healing. I'm going to give you some examples from my own life. So when I began to speak out about my experiences, I noticed that nobody, nobody was listening. So what did I do? I tried to get louder. I allowed myself to get pretty passionate at times and, and emotional in front of other people. Whereas prior to that, I'd been really careful to play pretty small because I was afraid they wouldn't like me. Um, I started to post some passionate and emotional things online. At home, I began speaking up and calling out bad behavior. I started saying things like, stop, I see what you're doing, stop now. I started calling a spade a spade. I wrote lengthy letters, spelling the problems out in every way I could think of. I had endless meetings with people that I thought could help me, but ultimately they didn't. After one year of an in-house separation, followed by two years of a separation, a physical separation, I decided to file for divorce. After three years, nobody had listened and nobody had cared. They had all decided to go along with my husband's narrative that I was actually the problem. And I had been outspoken and passionate with all of these people, so they bought his story that I was out of control and even borderline. And, you know, they figured they had their evidence. All right, but I also now had mine. And I decided that if nobody else was going to have my back, I was going to have my back. I decided to let them keep their stories and their manuals for how life was supposed to go, and I would keep mine. Now, even so, there were aftershocks. After the divorce, which was another two-year process, I wrote a book. And I mentioned in this book, uh, there's one little part where I mentioned my sister and her family who had marginalized me because I was no longer living according to their manual for life. And then uh, shortly after that, my beautiful dad died. My mom and both of my sisters decided that they were done with me. And I lost my entire family of origin because, number one, I dared to get divorced. That was a problem for um, at least one person in my family. And then number two, I decided to tell the truth about my life. And that was a problem for the other ones. Now, relationships can be challenging, but healthy relationships are not, they, they should not be or feel like they're minefields. You should not have all this terror around like <laughs> making moves in a relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to be careful in our relationships but being careful not to drop a precious gem and then being careful not to step on a mine are two completely different types of being careful, all right? I'm careful not to dishonor or disparage my kids or my husband. I'm remarried because I love them and I want what's best for them. But if one of them would decide they want to kick me in the back, I'm not going to pretend that that didn't happen. I can always say, I love you that hurts, please stop. Now, they might do what their dad did. They might blame me for being too sensitive or too this or too that because that gets them off the hook and puts the, you know, puts the spotlight on me. Um, or they might say that I brought it on myself. And if they do that, I have to decide what I'm going to make that mean, what I'm going to make that mean. 
Will I make it mean for me that I'm a bad mom? They might make it mean that I'm a bad mom. That's okay. But am I going to make it mean that I'm a bad mom? Or will I make it mean that maybe that they're not taking responsibility for their own behavior? What I make it mean is going to determine how I show up in that situation. Do you see what I'm saying? What they make it mean is going to determine how they show up. What I make it mean is going to determine how I show up. If I make it mean that I must be a bad mom or that they are bad kids, then I'm going to feel bad and I'm going to show up in ways that aren't healthy for me or my kids. If I make it mean that they aren't taking responsibility for their own behavior and they're putting that, trying to put that on me so that they can feel better and get off the hook, I can let them own it or not, as the case may be, whatever they choose, but I can let them have that and then I can move on with my own life. I can have my own back. I can allow them to have their experience and their beliefs about it and I can allow myself to have mine. Or maybe they'll take responsibility for their behavior and then the relationship can be close again. Remember that it's never your sole responsibility to maintain a close relationship with anyone. Relationships can only be intimate and precious when both parties believe that it is and treat it that way. That doesn't mean that you can't have relationships with people who don't treat you nicely. You can still have a relationship with a child you know, or a parent or a sibling who has ousted you. But it's just not going to be a close, safe, or intimate relationship. It's going to be more transactional. Or as in the case with my family of origin, my relationship with them is all in my own mind and heart now because I don't have contact with them anymore. And I've chosen not to chase them down and fawn to get them back. I love them. There's a part of me that's always going to carry that grief and sadness with me over losing them. But there is another part of me that has accepted their choice to move on without me and and their behavior. And I've chosen to move forward without all of that drama in my life. Honestly, there's so much more peace in my life. I'm grateful for all of it. The sadness and the grief, which comes from a place of love, as well as the moving on part, which comes from a place of acceptance. And I'm going to be honest, there's still a third part of me that is kind of indignant over my history with them. And that part of me acknowledges the lies, the gossip, the backstabbing, the manipulation, and the abandonment. But I accept that all three of those parts inside of me exist and are valid. So, Now that I've laid this foundation, I want to talk about some of the specific types of situations that this listener offered as examples of what survivors struggle with in relating to other people post-abuse. And the first one was how to relate to other women in abusive relationships. So what I think she's asking is, what about wounded women in relationships with other wounded women? And isn't there opportunity for misunderstandings and even abuse or manipulation when you have unhealed people interacting with one another? And you know, there is opportunity for that. And I've seen it firsthand on several occasions in the survivor community. Let me give you a couple of examples of how this might show up. 
Let's say that you go out for coffee with another survivor. And you could translate this into, let's say that you're having an email conversation, or let's say that you're having a Facebook interaction with another survivor. Um, but we'll just, we'll just go with the coffee thing, okay? And that person gives you some advice about your situation. So you made yourself vulnerable, you talked about your situation, and that, that person comes back and gives you some advice about it. Now, let's say that you have a visceral reaction to that advice, Because here you are, you've finally been learning how to listen to your own gut and you want to solve this problem your way for once. And now someone else has just come along and made you feel like they're telling you what to do. And you feel this instant smallness, like you're a child again. And this person is kind of like your mommy boss. You feel small and you also feel guilty for feeling like this toward your friend. And you also feel like you need to fight for your newfound freedom of autonomy and right to make your own decisions. And all of these thoughts are swirling through your head and your body is experiencing a lot of mixed and confusing emotions. This is what I call a trigger moment. And triggers happen when our brain's programming takes over and runs on autopilot. It's an, uh, and by the way, our brain's programming is just what has been programmed into our brain since we were infants. It's what we've learned from experience, what we've been taught, what we've read, all of our interactions with teachers and peers and parents. And our brain's programming is about 95% of what runs our life. Or, well, actually, no, that's not true. Our, all of our thoughts run our life, but about 95% of our thoughts are non-conscious and and the five and there's about 5% that are conscious and this we what's crazy is that this 95% of our thoughts is running our lives okay and and we don't we're not aware of it because it's non-conscious all right so this is i would call this an unmanaged mind and it's totally normal and it means your brain is actually working the way god designed it to work so don't ever you know don't be disparaging your brain or criticizing your brain because it's actually doing what it's supposed to I call this part in the, my programs, I call this part of your brain myrtle. You're like, your brain is kind of like your myrtle. Um, but it's like a toddler with scissors. And the toddler just does whatever it wants to do, and that can be kind of dangerous. So we do a lot of work around this in the Flying Free and Flying Higher programs, learning how to change that programming and practice new ways of thinking about old issues. That's really critical to changing your, those knee-jerk reaction, reactions and getting those triggers to... Um, to settle down and subside so that we're not actually triggered by things anymore. We, I mean, it would be really nice, right? To be able to have someone give you some advice. Let me just give you an example. Let's say your survivor friend offers some advice and instead of being triggered and reacting in fear and smallness and defensiveness, what if your automatic response was in your brain was your brain just automatically went to the idea that, oh, she's trying to help me the best way she knows how. I'm really grateful for her insight. I like my idea better, but, you know, I'm glad she felt free to share her insights. Okay? You can't just want to respond that way or think that way, though. You have to actually do the mental brain, retra- you know, retraining of your brain in order to get to that place where that kind of response is now baked in to your programming, into who you are. All right. Now, another typical survivor response would be to not get defensive. Let's say that you're sitting in the coffee shop, they give you advice, and instead of getting defensive, you do the opposite and you start fawning, which means that when your friend offers you this advice, you feel like you have to take it or you'll hurt her feelings. 
So you pretend that you love her idea. And then you, on the back end, you're vexing and freaking out because you really don't want to do it her way. But now you feel like you have to in order to please her and make her feel like she helped you. Do you see how you're trying to manage her emotions now? Now, if you're anything like me, both of these responses, whether it's being defensive and feeling like, you know, being triggered that way or fawning, these are very typical knee-jerk responses that survivors have when someone offers them criticism or feedback or advice. And wouldn't it be nice if instead of fawning, you could say or think, I love your idea and thank you for sharing it with me. I'll think about that. But at the end of the day, you have total confidence in your own ability to make your own choice for your own life. And you feel no obligation to manage your friend's emotions or stroke her ego in any way. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Doesn't that sound like freedom? All right, because I just talked, just mentioned criticism and feedback, I think we should talk a little bit about the difference between those two things. Criticism is all about the person giving the criticism. It's about their emotions. It's basically, when someone's criticizing you, it, someone is throwing up on you because something that you did or said brought up something for that person. And now they want you to take responsibility for their emotions, rather than them taking responsibility for what they're making, what you said mean. Criticism is toxic, it's unhelpful, and it's always rooted in fear. Let me give you an example. Let's say you write something on Facebook and someone writes back, you are ignorant and you obviously don't care about people at all. Okay, that's an example of criticism because it's an attack. And it's a statement about your character. It's an attack on who you are as a person. Now, feedback is about helping the other person. It's about the other person. It's rooted in love. For example, let's say you write something on feedback and someone says, hey, you know what? Just wanted to let you know you quoted that person wrong. The actual quote is this. Or um, the link you provided isn't working. Or, you know, when you speak, when you do these Facebook Lives, your bangs are in your face and we can't see your eyes. All right, that would be more feedback. Do you see the difference? So the first thing you want to do is to decide if someone is giving you feedback or criticism. And at first, it might be kind of hard because if you're easily triggered and you haven't done a lot of this mind reprogramming, you possibly are easily triggered and you're going to think that everything is criticism. You're going to interpret everything through that lens, that survival, that wounded survival lens. It's like putting these glasses on and they're the wounded survival glasses and everything that you see is going to be, you know, it's going to look like vomit, and not all of it actually is. So, um, so okay. So, but you want. So at first, you want. You first, you want to be able to decide if it's feedback or criticism, and you'll get better and better at that as you go through the healing process. Um, and this is something that I help people, you know, do in flying free, especially if it's criticism. Do you know what I do? I don't engage. I usually just delete it. I don't respond. I honestly, I don't have time to clean up someone else's vomit. Now, I've seen other people respond. I've, I've watched how people, you know, I've watched other people on Facebook especially um, get criticized. And then I watch how the person who's being criticized responds. And I, you know, um, and pretty soon what ends up happening is there's tit for tat. And both parties are attacking each other. And I just think it's such a waste of time and emotional energy. And again, I think the conversation ends up being rooted in fear, which propagates more fear. And I don't think that love can show up where there's that kind of fear. 
So I've decided that other people have total freedom to sit in the peanut gallery and attack and criticize all they want. They have the right to choose that that for their lives. And um, I do get emails periodically. I get attacked on Facebook periodically, and I just delete them. Honestly, I don't even read the whole thing. Why would I stick my nose in vomit when I could stick it in a flower? You know, I've got stuff to do. If they want to spend their time vomiting, they totally can, but I'm not going to hang out and watch it. That's just gross. Now, on the other hand, if someone is giving me feedback, I totally welcome that because they're trying to help me. And even if the feedback is unnecessary or unwarranted because maybe they didn't understand something or they misunderstand something, that's totally fine. I understand that their feedback is rooted in care and I am all about the love. And I'm going to return the favor. I'm going to love them back by thanking them and making any necessary changes if I feel those changes need to be made. So they give me feedback and then I decide what I'm going to do with it. Are you guys beginning to see the key to all of this? The key is being your own person and letting the other person be their own person. Just because someone has a different belief from you or a different story from you or a different opinion from you doesn't mean that you have to buy into it. You get to have your own beliefs, opinions, and stories, and they are just as valid as someone else's. I remember once an elder from the church that excommunicated me told me that he said, you know, you have your own narrative, Natalie, and your, ex- your husband has his own narrative. Now, at the time when he said that, I was totally offended because I was still hooked into my husband's narrative, as well as the narrative of this elder. I thought that I had to fight to make my narrative the true one, you know, or to ha- have, them, have them validate my narrative. Otherwise, my narrative was not valid or not true. Now, today, if someone told me that, I would look them in the eyes and I'd say, you're damn right I've got my narrative and I'm sticking to it. You can have your story and you can do what aligns with your character, which is kicking me and my narrative out the back door, but I will take my story and I'm going to change the world with it. Best of luck to you and your little church games. But back then, my brain was stuck in this belief that in order for my narrative to be valid, other people had to see it and agree with it. I was hooked into their universes, and it required me to be defensive or to fawn or to do whatever it took to convince them to keep me safe and help me and rescue me. Do you see this? I was the little girl, and they were the bigwigs in charge. They were like my mommies and daddies, and they had to... Oh my gosh, not anymore. I'm an adult and I don't need them to validate my life or what I went through. I validate it. And now that's good enough for me. Now, because I'm no longer tr- spinning in th- these cra- this crazy vortex of trying to get them to you know see me or agree with me, I have all this extra energy instead now to pour into loving others because I no longer have to worry about keeping myself safe and protected. I've got my own back, plus my faith in God. I know that God has my back. So if someone looks at me and says, you don't know God, I can just, that just like, that's hilarious, right? Because I I can feel bad for them that they don't have, that they're so blind. It's just so sad. So let's see how this applies to the second example that this listener gave. 
She said, you know, do you chase people up when they haven't answered your call? Do you make a, do you make arrangements or not? They might think you're trying to control them. So she's wondering if you can take initiative. I think she's wondering if you can take initiative in someone else's life and how much initiative can you take? So if we apply what I just taught you, that you get to be fully you and you get to show up in full color as yourself and that the other person gets to be fully them and they get to show up in full color as themselves, now things get pretty clear. You can call your adult child, for example, but if they choose not to answer your call, what are they telling you? If you allow others to be who they are, you will respect what they're telling you. And you will acknowledge the reality that, in this case, they don't want to talk to you for whatever reason. That's all that means. Now, you can make it mean a lot more than that. Like, you can make it mean that they're mad at you. But so what? Why is their anger or their emotion a problem for you? Are you at the place where you can be okay with the fact that other people get to have whatever emotions they want to have? And that's not your business? Now, if you just had an altercation with them and you call to apologize, and they're not answering, you know, I mean, you could certainly send a follow-up text apology and see if they'll call you back. But beyond that, you have one of two choices. You can either continue to hound them, which is trying to control their response so that you'll feel better, or you can respect their choice to distance themselves from you. At that point, your work lies in managing your own headspace around the possible disappointment and loss that you might feel about that. I teach my clients that our emotions come from our thoughts, not our circumstances. Our emotions come from what we make our circumstances mean for us through our beliefs. All right, so if we make their choice to give us the silent treatment mean that we are a loser and we're a bad mom and we might as well slit our throat and die, then we're probably not going to show up in our lives in the same way that we would if we just made their choice if we just made their choice to give us the silent treatment, mean that they just want some space. And then because we love them, we're going to give it to them, right? The listener also asked about, you know, making arrangements with someone. And of, of course you can make arrangements that have been agreed upon by both parties. Or you can plan a get together and you can invite your kids to it or your friends to it. But at the end of the day, they get to decide if they want to come. So here's how I try to handle this with my family and my older kids. I have a holiday get-together, I invite everyone, and whoever can come, comes. End of story. I have zero expectations. Now, you guys, I, I've not always been this way, okay? I'm telling you where I've, what I do now and how I've grown and gotten to the place where I've just kind of let go of all of this. The drama in my life has gone from, like, super high drama and stress to so much less drama because I just let everyone do whatever they want. I just, I just have no expectations. I've chosen to think well of everyone regardless of what they decide to do. So if they say, oh, I can't come because I'm going to go to my boyfriend's house for that holiday, it's like, great. I don't make that mean, oh, they don't love me. They love my bo- their boyfriend's family better than me. I don't make it mean that. I just make it mean that that's what they want to do. It's totally fine. I'm grateful for whoever shows up and we have a great time. That's not controlling everyone. That's controlling me and my thoughts and my emotions and letting everyone else control theirs. Now, my ex still tells his narrative to our kids. And you know what? I tell mine. 
Is this confusing to them? Yeah, I think at first it is, especially if you're just getting out of your relationship. But over time, kids begin to see things play out. Um, and I don't, I'm not a proponent of like going off on your kids and telling and just like ranting and raving about your ex. I'm not saying do that. I'm just saying that I, I also don't believe that you should cover up and pretend that nothing ever happened or that your ex is an balls guy. If he's not, all right, kids are going to see right through that, especially if they're not experiencing that. But kids are going to start to see things play out over time. They're going to see that they can open up and talk freely with one parent without getting a bunch of critical vomit in their face. And they're going to see that they have to be very careful how they show up with the other parent. Um, That's just one example. They might begin to see that they can trust one parent to keep their word and be consistent. And they might discover that the other one really doesn't come through for them very often. They might observe that one parent is generous, even if they don't have as much. And the other person is stingy, even though they have a lot more. I always tell people that this is a long game. You need to work on you and all of the pieces will eventually fall into place as far as your kids are concerned. Or even some of your friends. Be patient. Let go of everyone else. Let go of trying to control them and their emotions. Let Just take responsibility for your own thoughts and emotions. Once you're okay with everyone else being who they are, including people who want to be assholes, and, and you're okay with you being who you are, that's when you're going to find yourself experiencing emotional freedom. So I just told you what you need to do in order to get to this place of emotional freedom. But if you want to know how to do it and work on creating that new programming for your brain that's going to change your life, I highly recommend if you haven't joined one of my programs that you do. Flying Free is a program for women of faith who are still in their destructive relationships. And Flying Higher is for women who are divorced and they are rebuilding their lives. You can learn more about Flying Free at joinflyingfree.com. And you can learn more about Flying Higher at joinflyinghigher.com. Now, if this episode was helpful for you, would you do me a huge favor? Please take a couple of minutes and head over to Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating and a review. Those of us who are on the podcast production team, we love to read about how this podcast has helped you in your life. And Apple Podcasts will also see that people are rating and reviewing this podcast, and then they'll start showing it to other people. This means that your investment of time is going to result in other people finding help as well. So it's totally worth your time. This is how we change the world together. And if you have a question that you'd like me to answer in a future podcast episode, all you have to do is go to my website, flyingfreenow.com forward slash 118. That's where you'll find the show notes and the transcript for this episode. And you'll also see a link on there that you can link to a little app where you can record a question for me and then I will answer it in a future podcast episode. I love, love, love answering these listener questions. I feel like these are some of the best episodes because I'm actually helping you with real, the real nitty gritty of what's going on in your lives. And I do a lot of that, you guys, a ton of that in the programs, but I like to offer just little, little tastes of what it's like to be in my program in the podcast. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, fly free.